This morning we're going to kick off a uh, six-part sermon series following up on the great work that our brother David did in the Sunday school in December on hospitality. Uh, as I was thinking about where to go from here, I do, I do have a long-term uh, plan to begin the Gospel of Matthew later this year, uh, but I couldn't shake the feeling that uh, I needed to continue addressing this topic of hospitality uh, that our brother David so uh, wonderfully uh, tackled in the Sunday school. So this morning we're going to begin a, a brief uh, series of sermons through the month of January and a couple in February on that topic of hospitality and what does it mean to be a welcoming Christian in the 21st century. Uh, maybe even in 2024, if you are a person who has uh, New Year's resolutions or things like that, maybe that's part of your resolutions for this year. How can I now be a more welcoming person in the face of an increasingly unwelcoming culture and isolated society? How can we live differently as Christians, opening up our homes and our time and even our very lives to the people around us in a way that maybe they've never experienced before? So we'll start that this morning, and uh, we're going to read a couple of verses. I'll read first from Hebrews 13, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll jump over to uh, two verses from 1 Timothy as well. But we'll primarily be in Hebrews 13 this morning, so if you want to keep your Bibles open there. Let's hear God's word, Hebrews 13, verses 1 and 2. The apostle says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Turning over to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3 and verse 2, part of Paul's requirements for a bishop or an elder in the church. He says, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. And finally, jumping over to uh, 1 Timothy 5.10, Paul's commandments about receiving widows into the church who essentially on the payroll to pray for the church, uh, supported by the church. Paul's requirements for those widows to be received, one of them from 1 Timothy 5.10, she must be well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And may God now bless us as we consider his word this morning. Well, as a pastor, and even before I became a pastor, uh, when I was just a, a zealous Christian wanting to share the gospel with people, uh, I'm amazed at the number of complaints you hear about the Christian faith from critics and from people who uh, refuse to bend the knee to Christ. One of the most common that I heard, and actually that I offered myself back in my unbelieving days, uh, one of the common complaints you might hear is, uh, well, I don't like the Bible. It's just this big book of rules, right? The do's and the don'ts and all these things that God says I should do and uh, all these things God says I shouldn't do. I'm just not a big fan of this apparently rule book that God has put out for us. Now, it is true that the Bible does have rules. The Bible does give us God's commandments. But if you really think about it, it's astounding the number of things that God leaves completely up to you. Think about that for a second. The number of things that God essentially says to you, uh, you figure it out. Do what you want. 
He sort of gives you parameters. He gives you some guidelines. But there's a lot of things about your life that God doesn't directly command you in his word. Uh, who you should marry. He gives you guidelines about the kind of person you ought to marry. But God doesn't say uh, person A needs to marry person B in spite of what someone in your youth group growing up might have told you. Right? I remember hearing that even uh, as I was volunteering in a youth group back in Chicago. Right? These teenagers in high school, well, God said to, to me that I should date you. And the other person, well, God didn't tell me that, so apparently I'm a little surprised. God gives you parameters for how to conduct your business, right? Be honest. Don't steal. But as far as what career you choose, what job you choose, God essentially says, you pick it, right? Do what you want. Within the broad parameters that I give you, do whatever you please. There's many things in God's word where God essentially leaves the choice up to you. He puts it in your hands. He gives you the parameters. He gives you the guidelines, sort of the, the bumpers on the, on the bowling lane, right? Don't go outside of this. But as far as what's inside, figure it out. Whatever you want. So then when we come to something in God's word that is black and white, that is crystal clear, a commandment from God, how much more should we then be ready to, to listen and hear? Right? There's so many things in God's word uh, that he leaves up to you that when God essentially says, okay, this is not up to you, it ought to stick out. And we ought to be saying, oh, okay, this is, this is unique. This is different. This is something that God is not leaving up to my choice. He is telling me, I must do this thing. Hospitality is one of those things. It is one of those things that God has commanded. He has ordered it. Uh, essentially, if, if, if God is your drill sergeant, this is the moment like in the movies where he says, that's an order, right? Which means, okay, I better do it. It's not an option. It's not something I get to choose to do or not do. God gives us his commandments, and one of those commandments is the commandment to be hospitable, to live lives that are open and welcoming and receiving of others. It's not optional. It's not up to us. God simply says, do this thing. When God does that, we ought then to pay attention and we ought to give heed. Uh, whenever God gives a commandment about something, it trumps whatever my personal opinion about the thing might be, right? Whenever God gives a commandment about something, it has to be able to trump whatever I might personally feel about that thing. Some of y'all have dealt with this, maybe if you came out of an unbelieving background and you're coming into a believing background. Uh, I can uh, just personally say I was brought up in a home where uh, something like the LGBTQ issue was a non-issue, right? And, and I had to struggle with this reality of, okay, well, God's word says one thing, but how I was raised says something different. Who's going to win? God's word is going to win. Maybe you were brought up in a home where a Sunday, for example, was not that big of a deal. You didn't go to church. You didn't set aside the day for the Lord's service and the Lord's people. And now you're wrestling. Well, God seems to have an opinion about the Sabbath day that sort of is different than what I was brought up to believe. Well, who's going to win? God's word has to win. Some people brought up in uh, 
cultures and societies where sexual promiscuity is rampant, right? It's just what you do. Marriage isn't that important. People are sleeping around a lot. It's just sort of the way we do things. Well, then God's word comes in and says, no, instead you should live this way. Who's going to win? For the Christian, God's word has to win. And it's the same with hospitality. I I understand and I, I can definitely feel with those of you who, when you hear the word hospitality, your immediate response is, well, I don't, I don't know anything about that, right? I wasn't raised that way. That wasn't a part of my life. That wasn't a part of my culture. Increasingly, as Americans, hospitality is not a part of our culture. It's not wired into who we are. And so if we're going to be hospitable, it means we're going to have that moment of saying, well, there's how I was raised And there's how my culture seems to think about this thing. But then there's what God's word says about it. And we have to wrestle with that question of who's going to win. Do my preferences win? Does my cultural and societal opinion win? Does the way I was raised win? Or does God's word win? Friends, if we are truly Christians, if we are truly going to be followers of Jesus, God's word has to win every time. No questions asked. God's word has to win. And I understand that that will be challenging. That will be hard because it is not natural to us. But if we're going to be followers of Christ, we ought at least to be willing to listen to what he says and then to do it joyfully. So with all that in mind, let's think about this topic of hospitality. First and foremost, what is it? What is hospitality? If I could give you a sort of a working definition that you can take into 2024, a definition of hospitality. Hospitality is the Christian duty of not knowing a stranger. It is the Christian duty of not knowing a stranger. What do I mean by that? Maybe you've heard that said, right? Someone passes away, someone dies, and and what do people say about them? Well, he never met a stranger, right? What does that mean? It means that this person, whenever they met somebody new, they didn't first and foremost see them as a threat or as an outsider or as someone to be distanced from, but as someone to be cherished and welcomed, someone who wanted to make friends quickly with people, someone who was joyful to meet someone new and learn about this new person. Now, of course, that that follows, if we rightly understand, who people are. If we rightly understand Genesis 1 and 2, that human beings, all human beings, are made in the image and likeness of God, then that means that every single person you meet shares something with you. Regardless of skin color, regardless of of, uh, gender, regardless of socioeconomic background, every person you have ever met or will ever meet shares this intrinsic thing with you, this value as a creature made in the image and likeness of God. You have never met a human being who did not bear that image with you. And so in some sense, when you meet anybody, you are meeting someone with whom you have a connection. Even if you don't know anything else about them, you know this person is made in the image and likeness of God just like me. So as Christians, hospitality is the Christian duty of treating them as much as we can, as if they were not strangers, but as if we had that connection with them and desired 
to welcome them in. Now, the writer of Hebrews, in verse 1 of chapter 13, he, he gets at the love that is shared among Christians, right? He says, let brotherly love continue. I believe this is referring primarily to the fellowship that the Christian church has within itself. Within the body of Christ, we have brotherly love. Christ taught us to love one another as he first loved us. And he even said that we would be known as his disciples by our love for each other. Even above the natural bonds of the natural family, God calls us to a greater love for the body of Christ. Turn over with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 12. Let's go over to Matthew 12. You probably know this story already, but I want you to hear it in this context. In Matthew 12, the end of the chapter, uh, let's go to verse 46. Matthew 12, verse 46. Jesus is teaching. He is uh, speaking to his disciples. He's telling them about, uh, you know, how to, uh, he's teaching them about, about the gospel. And, and there's this moment where verse 46 says, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside. So Mary and the other brothers of Jesus are standing outside where he's teaching. And verse 46 says, they are seeking to speak with him. One, of the, uh, one said to him, said to Jesus, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But Jesus answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is not here disrespecting the Virgin Mary. He's not disrespecting his brothers who want to talk to him outside. But he is teaching us as his disciples that when it comes to the kingdom of God, you have a deeper connection than even the natural bonds of the family. That within the body of Christ, there is actually a superior connection. There's a greater family that you belong to than your mere biological family. And in fact... Elsewhere, Jesus will teach us that that spiritual family that you belong to as a Christian, the body of Christ, has to trump even the natural family. Jesus spoke about how he came not to bring peace to the world, but to bring a sword, and how even families would be divided over him. Maybe some of y'all have experienced that. Maybe your parents or your children or your grandchildren distancing themselves from you, cutting themselves off from you because of your commitment to Christ. And you had to wrestle with that reality, didn't you? Who comes first in my life? Do my children come first or does Jesus come first? Do my parents come first or does Jesus come first? To be a disciple means that when push comes to shove, Jesus always has to win out. And he's teaching us here that he does that himself. He says, my true family, my ultimate connection is not with my mother Mary and with my biological brothers. My ultimate connection is with those who do the will of my father. They are my true and ultimate family. Uh, friends, if we're thinking about it in terms of eternity, uh, you may or may not spend eternity with your biological family members. Uh, I hope that you will. I pray that you will. And if you don't have, if you have family members who aren't saved, I hope you're praying for them. 
But the reality is that you may or may not spend eternity with your biological family. You will most definitely spend eternity with the people of God and with the family of Jesus Christ. So that's what the writer of Hebrews, the apostle is talking about there, Hebrews 13, verse 1, when he says, let brotherly love continue. He's talking about that shared fellowship that we have as the body of Christ. But I want you to notice what he immediately says next. Go back to Hebrews 13 and verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving the body. Keep loving the brethren. And do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, it doesn't translate in the English. Maybe in your English translation it does. But the New King James Version, this is one place where I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed in how they chose to, to translate it. But in the Greek... The two words that refer to brotherly love in verse 1 and what the New King James calls entertaining strangers in verse 2, they're actually mirror images of each other. Both of them are sort of combination words. It's a combination of the word phylos for friend, and in the first verse, uh, uh, delphos, the word for brother, and then second word, xenos, uh, or xenos, the word for a stranger or an alien or a foreigner. But the two words uh, are actually philadelphia, brotherly love. Think Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's why we call it that. Philadelphia, brotherly love. Philoxenius. You might call it stranger love. Alien love. The love of someone you don't know. They're actually mirror images of each other. So you might say that verse 1 says... Uh, continue loving the brethren, and then verse 2 immediately says, don't forget to love strangers. Essentially, what the apostle is saying is that the love that we share as the body of Christ is meant to spill over. It's not meant to just stay here. Think of Psalm 23, uh, when the psalmist David says, my cup runneth over. God's blessings are too great to just keep in this one little cup. They've got to pour over and go and touch the lives of others as well. The apostle is saying, you have this brotherly love. Keep doing it. Keep loving the brethren. Keep sharing your lives together as the body of Christ. And in the same way, love strangers. Love those who you don't know. Hospitality means that our lives have an open door policy especially to fellow believers, to the body of Christ, but also to strangers as well, to your neighbors, to people who don't know Christ. Uh, it, in some sense, if I can uh, say it this way, it actually means that you have to live out that old uh, phony Olive Garden slogan. Y'all remember it, right? When you're here, you're family, right? Olive Garden's lying to you when they say that, by the way, right? They just want your money. But that slogan is what Christian hospitality is all about. When someone comes up against your Christian life, you ought to be able to tell them, when you're with me, you're family. You're, you're like one of us. We're not going to treat you as, as someone to be distanced from and, and sort of separated and isolated over here. And then maybe when you become a Christian, then we'll actually welcome you into the circle, right? No, no. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 indicates that there is not this hard and fast barrier between the body of Christ in here and people outside the body out here. 
but rather the same love that we share as the body of Christ is meant to be shared also with strangers, with those who we don't know. It means opening up our homes and our lives and our schedules to the needs of others, not just in the body, but even outside the body of Christ. Now let's ask a follow-up question. Who is to practice it? Who is to practice hospitality? Uh, Many of us, and and I indicated American culture, uh, none of us really practice hospitality in the way that the Bible talks about. Uh, we're We're not taught to do that culturally anymore. Maybe some of you, if you grew up in the South, and maybe in small towns in the South especially, maybe you grew up uh, with that kind of mentality of, of uh, you're making tea in the morning just in case someone comes over, right, just in case someone stops by. Maybe we had a little bit of that still, but the kind of hospitality that the Bible is talking about, we have very, very little of in this country today. So we have to ask this question, well, who is to do it? We read a couple of other verses there. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy says that pastors, elders, bishops, as the New King James translates it, it all means the same thing, those church officers who lead and, and guide the body of Christ, they are to practice hospitality. And widows, these older women who are widowed now and they have no one else to care for them, the church is now going to provide for their needs, and in return, the widows are to essentially pray for the church. They're, they're sort of nonstop prayer warriors. That's their job now, is to pray for the people of God. And Paul also says that those widows will only be received if they have demonstrated hospitality. So, ladies, if you're looking for a sort of retirement plan, plan ahead, right? Practice hospitality now so that later on uh, you could be received into those roles of widows. But I want to point out to you that, and, and I appreciate that David did this in his Sunday school series, in his Sunday school lessons, when... Paul lays out the requirements for pastors and elders and even widows on the roles of the church. He is not setting them apart as some sort of super Christian class. The church of God does not have two classes. It's not like you have the first class super Christians, the pastors and the elders who do special things up here. And then down here you have your run of the mill Joe Schmo Christians who don't do those things. In other words, when Paul says that bishops or pastors or elders must be hospitable, he's not saying, oh, I'm not a pastor, therefore I don't have to do that. Remember that pastors are also supposed to be faithful to their wives. Pastors are also supposed to not be quarrelsome. It's not as if you're not a pastor and therefore you don't have to be faithful to your wife or or you don't have to uh, not be quarrelsome. Rob, I see you responding there. The reality is that leaders in the church are not doing anything different than what all Christians ought to be doing. They're simply doing it as examples. They're doing it in an exemplary way. They really ought to be doing it because they're showing you how to follow Christ. So in reality, when we come to that question of who is to practice Christian hospitality, it's everybody. It's all of us. It's especially your pastor and the elders. It's especially those who are leading in the church. But all of us together are called to this work. In the earliest days of the church in Acts chapter 2, all believers shared life with each other. Acts chapter 2 indicates that they broke bread together from house to house. Not just at the manse, not just at the pastor's home, but every Christian's home becomes 
a, a, a place of ministry, a place of welcoming the church, a place of welcoming others, and the church grows because of it. And I'll point out to you in Acts chapter 2, hospitality is a daily part of your Christian life. It's not just an occasional practice that maybe you choose to do or not do. It's, a, it's just a part of being a Christian. It's just a part of, of being together as the body of Christ. Today, uh, because of our culture and because of the way many of us were raised, hospitality is going to feel like kind of a shock. And maybe to start, it is going to feel like this thing where we're doing it occasionally. We're getting our feet wet because we've never done it before. right? You've got to learn to swim before you jump in the deep end. But the reality is that we can't stay there. Hospitality is this thing that God intends to just be a natural part of the rhythm of life. It's not meant to feel unique. It's not meant to feel uh, like an interruption to your daily life. Hospitality is meant to be a part of our daily life. Now, I understand, right, when you're starting off, uh, when, when my daughter started walking, uh, she didn't just get up one day and start running around the house, right? She got up, she took some steps, she fell down. She tried again, she got up, took some steps, she fell down. That's kind of the way it goes when you're learning something new. So get ready for that. But the goal is to get to the point where this is just a part of my life. This is just a part of what it means to be me, to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I want to close this morning with this question, one final question. Why does God command it? We talked about hospitality. We talked about the fact that we're all supposed to practice it, and it is a commandment of God. It's not an optional choice that we get to choose or not. It's not like you're in the cafeteria line. And God's holding out the hospitality to you and letting you choose whether to put it on your tray or not. He's just dumping it on there. But why? Why does he command it? Why is it not optional? Why is it something that God is adamant about? Because, friends, hospitality, in, in so many ways, it's just the gospel. This is what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. What he is calling you to do in hospitality is to do for others what he has first done for you in Jesus Christ. What God has first done in welcoming strangers. What God has first done in being the one to open the door. Not waiting on you to come to him, but calling you first. Coming to you first. got a lot of new people moving into my neighborhood. They're finally finishing up the last of our, of our subdivision. And you have that moment where right, you, you wave to the person across the street and you go, man, it'd be nice to meet them. The Christian way to meet them, by God's example, is for me to cross the street, knock on their door, and introduce myself to them. That's what Christmas was all about. That's what God did for you in Christ. He came down. He did not wait for you to walk across the street to him. He came to you. And he called you into his life with him through Christ. Turn over with me as we close to Ephesians chapter 2. I want, I want to close with this. Ephesians chapter 2. Think about this in the context of hospitality. Ephesians 2. Paul is talking to Gentile Christians, people who didn't know the God of Israel, and now they've come to know him in Christ. And Paul tells these Christians... Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you 
once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens, strangers from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul's saying, look, here's where you once were, Gentile Christian. There was this inner circle, the circumcision, and you were on the outside. You were the uncircumcision. You were not a part of the group. You were aliens from Israel. You were strangers from God's covenant and promise, and you had no hope, and you were without God in the world. What did God then do for you? But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Jesus Christ's mission was to welcome you into the family of God, and he did that by shedding his blood on the cross. You were once strangers, you were once alienated from God, you were once distant from God, and the door was closed to you. But then in Christ Jesus, God opened the door. And God came out to you and said, I want you to come in to my home. I want you to come and live life with me. And there's a, there's a payment that needs to be made first, and I will pay it. I will bear the cost of you coming in to my family. Christ offers us the hospitality of heaven. That's what he does. God never commands you to do anything that he doesn't do first for you. When it comes to hospitality, that's what the gospel is all about. God has made a way for you to no longer be strangers, to no longer be alienated from God through Christ Jesus, but now to be brought near to him, to be reconciled to God, to be a part of the family. And now that same love that we have experienced in Christ he commands us to share with everyone around us. As we go through this sermon series, I hope that we can keep that at the forefront of our minds, that, that hospitality is not optional because it wasn't optional for God. Jesus Christ chose to do this, and now he calls us to choose to do this as well. Brothers and sisters, may we glorify God as we follow him in this way. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we thank you for this good word, and Lord, we thank you for the blessing it is to be welcomed into your presence. Lord, you are a welcoming God. You are a God who welcomes all who come to you through Christ. And Lord, we thank you that we who were once strangers, we now have a family. We who were once aliens and foreigners from God, we now have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus, thank you for that wonderful work you did for us. And we pray, Lord, that we would not keep it to ourselves, but share it with all around us, that you might be glorified and that many more might come into your family and join us in the fellowship of the saints. Oh Lord, put your word into our hearts now and may it bear fruit to your glory. In Jesus' name.